What's up, True Life? How's everybody doing? <laughs> you eased into it. Like, Woo! All right, come on. How's everybody doing this morning? Having a good morning, man. Beautiful weather outside. You could be at the beach, but you're here in this old movie theater. Thank you. Thank you for that. Are you guys ready to have a good time this morning? Yeah? How many, who's been on spring break? Any spring breakers in the house? Yes. Good to be back. Good to be back from that. I was looking at all this gear up here. This area is growing around Kevin and uh, tempted to experiment. Is this on? Can I just, what's the green light, Kevin? No, it's, it's, it just blinked, but now something's moving over there. Awesome. So the end of service might be a little iffy. All right. Just messed it up. So, hey, who was here for Easter last weekend? How many of you were here for Easter? Man, we had an awesome time. How many of you bought the big mistake at the beginning? You thought it was for real, the big awkward deal. All right. I was talking to a couple people yesterday. They actually believed it. So that was good. I'm glad it worked. I'm glad we sold that. I just want to share some statistics with you from last week because it was a really exciting weekend for us. We actually had one of the largest attended services in terms of adults in this room that we've ever had. Um, and uh, so good job. Give yourselves a hand for that. Good job. And uh, it, it was, I mean, Joel and I were talking about it afterwards, like from the stage, you could just tell it was, there were people all, all in seats that a lot of times we don't see seats with, with people in them on, on Sunday morning for Easter last week. And so that's always really exciting. And uh, I'm, again, I just want to say thanks to, to Todd, to Dan, to all the worship team, to all of our creative guys for, for how hard they work each and every week. And especially when we throw uh, big projects at them like we did last week. It was a, there was a lot of man hours that went into the, all of the production for Easter. And so can we give them a hand? Just let them know how much we love them and what they do each and every week. And uh, so, so thank you guys. Awesome job. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's great to have a big crowd, big numbers. That's, that's important. But even more important and more exciting is uh, every Easter we do a spiritual survey. And, and uh, if you were here, you remember, we, we asked people to write on the back of their connection cards, um, A, B, C, or D, and uh, to indicate kind of where they're at spiritually. And, and so if you wrote letter A, you were saying, hey, I've already got a relationship with Jesus Christ I'm good. That's uh, I'm there. I'm with you. If you wrote the letter B, you were saying I'm ready today to make a decision to invite Jesus into my life and uh, and make Him my Lord and Savior. If you wrote the letter C, you were saying I'm I'm not quite there yet, but you've got me thinking about it. I'm I'm considering it. I'm close. And then if you wrote the letter D, you were saying not there. And in fact, I have no intention of ever going there. I just don't see myself moving in that direction. So thank God this year there was nobody who wrote the letter D, and, and uh, so that's exciting. Um, we actually had some, a couple people last year who did write down the letter D, and, uh, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the kind of church that we're trying to be, we, we want people to write D and C, uh, because if we don't have anyone in our church writing those two letters, it means we've become inward, and we're just a bunch of Christians sitting around feeding ourselves and getting fat and lazy and and, uh, and that's not who we are. That's not who we want to be. And in fact, if I ever sensed that that was happening, I would kill the whole thing, change the name and start over. And I'm not kidding. Um, I really would. Some of you are like, really? And I, yeah, yeah, really. We'd go back to a launch team and we'd start from scratch because that's not who we are. We exist to reach people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and disciple them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. 
And so we, we, the really exciting news is we did have a few people that wrote C who said, uh, I'm not there yet, but you got me thinking about it today, and I'm, I'm thinking about it. And then the really exciting news is we had five people who wrote down the letter B and said, today I'm ready. I'm going to make a, a decision to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, uh, and make him, come on, let's give God a hand for that. And uh, that's, that's exciting, man. And, um, and I'm just really, really proud of, of all of our serving teams and everybody who's a part of, of service every week, but you know, Easter's a big deal, and, and uh, you guys pulled it off, helped us beat the statistics, because a young church isn't supposed to have good numbers on Easter, everybody goes to the traditional place of worship with their families, it takes a few years before you're the place that, that people bring their family for Easter, so good job, proud of you guys, it's a big deal, and if you were here last week, we kicked off this brand new series called Jesus Is, we talked about the fact that Jesus is enough no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, the answer, as Joel said one time, the answer at True Life Church is always Jesus. What's your favorite color? Jesus. All right, so that's, that's always the answer here, and, uh, and, and so we talked about that. Jesus is enough, and so I'm excited now to really kind of get into the meat of this series. We're going to spend several weeks, this should take us all the way up to about Mother's Day, talking about the characteristics and the traits of Jesus, because the truth is a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what and who Jesus is that are based on a lot of things that don't have anything to do with the Bible or Scripture, and, uh, and, and that's not good. And so what we want to do is we want to take time through this series and make sure that we show everyone who Jesus is in the Bible and in Scripture, because a lot of us... We base it off of some religious experience we've had in the past, or even, that's why in that intro we've got all these kind of classic pictures of Jesus and how he's been painted out to be through, through the years, and, and, and almost none of those are accurate, and uh, so we've, we've got all these pictures and ideas of who Jesus is, and maybe through hearsay, and, and so what we want to do is we want to take a look at, this is a crazy idea, the Bible, <laughs> And see who Jesus is in Scripture, and then we're gonna, so we're going to take several weeks and talk about the traits of Jesus. And so today we're talking about Jesus is really probably one of the most important ones and one of my favorite ones. Truth, this is a truth for me. Jesus is my best friend. He, he that ain't funny. <laughs> Somebody's having a conversation in the hallway. Jesus is my best friend. He is, uh, he is the best relationship that I have. He's the most important relationship I have. And so I'm excited about getting into this for the rest of the series. And, and, and here's kind of our theme scripture throughout the series. It's found in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I'm actually reading this from the message because I really like the way the message uh, translates this particular passage. And it says, this is Paul, he's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, you'll remember friends that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. And if I had to say what this series is about, what the next six weeks is really all about, it's those two things. We want to talk about Jesus and who he is and Jesus and what he did for us. And, uh, and it's going to be good. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I pray this morning that, that lives would be changed, that hearts would be drawn towards you. 
Father, that we would understand that you're not just some far-off God who we can't be in touch with, that we can't have a personal relationship with, but you desire to have friendship, relationship, intimately with each and every one of us, God. And I, I pray that, that we would take steps today to have that kind of relationship with you. I thank you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, man, that's what I want to show you, that Jesus is my best friend. And he wants to have that kind of relationship with you as well. I like nicknames. Anybody like nicknames? I'm a nickname kind of guy. I've had several nicknames throughout my life, throughout my adult life. Some of them not so flattering. Some of them are great. Uh, when I was youth pastoring uh, back, in, back in the day when I was young and uh, working with teenagers, all, all of the kids, I used to call them my kids because they felt like about like some of the young people do here now. They feel like my kids. I wish they wouldn't. But I got my own now. I don't need, I don't need more. No. I used to call them my kids. They, they, so Pastor Mike, but everybody shortened it. So one of my nicknames was P. Mike. So everybody would just be like, hey, P. Mike, what's up, P. Mike? And so that was, I liked that. That was, that was fun. A lot of our worship team now, because I have red hair, they've decided to call me Pastor Gingy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm cool with that. I like that. Nicknames are fun, man. Uh, we, we have a guy on our worship team who we call The Hobbit, and because uh, he, he looks like him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what'd you say? Angry Kevin, we don't, we don't want to go there. Uh, you don't want to see Angry Kevin. He is not a, <laughs> he's, that's, you don't want to see that. Um, what else? What else? Oh, some other nicknames. I've got one of my overseers when he calls me Sam from Freedom Life just up the road in, in Christiana, Pennsylvania. He'll call me, and if I don't answer, I'll get a voicemail. He'll be like, Mikey Mike in the Funky Bunch, what's up, man? And uh, I'm like, man, that's, you're aging yourself there, don't. Don't do that. Um, I, I have some nicknames uh, for, for even some of the guys on our team, like, like, like Brian Schaefer. He's not here today, but he's, a, he's an MMA fighter, like the real deal. So I call him the intimidator because uh, he, could, he could, if he wanted to, he could, he could jack you up. Uh, Jeff Brownlee is one of our, our trustees, and if you've ever played the game of Mafia with him, uh, we, just, we just call him the enforcer because... Uh, because uh, he'll just look at you and be like, tell me the truth. Are you mafia? And then and he knows. It's like this prophetic gift. He knows if you're lying to him. So he's the enforcer. Another one of our trustees, he's not here today, Jonathan Moritz. I call him Tiger because he's always out on the golf course. And, uh, and so I just call him, even though he looks nothing like Tiger, but that's, I call him Tiger. I know nicknames are probably more of a guy thing than, than a girl thing. Like if a bunch of ladies go out to lunch together and it's, it's Amber, Susan, Wendy, and Beth, they don't, they're, they're like, I'm just trying to go with names that I know aren't in the room. So if that's your name, I'm sorry, but you know, they're not, they don't walk into the room and high five each other. Bethy, what's up girl? You know, that doesn't happen. Uh, but guys will do it, especially on an athletic field, like a sports field. And if you, if you just want to know how to easily develop a nickname, you just take, if, if the last name is one syllable, you just add a Y to it. So like, like when we go play flag football, that's Mirzy, all right? And so, what's up, Mirzy? You could do that. Guys can do that. If it's more than one syllable, you take the first syllable and add a Y to it, all right? So Twitchell, he'd be twitchy, all right? So... <laughs> Uh, 
Brownlee would be Brownie. You could just call him Brownie. So, and Groupie, we got Groupie over here. What's up, Groupie? So, you could, here's the thing about nicknames, man. They don't actually, they only work with people you know. So you can't, you can't meet a stranger for the first time and be like, because sometimes nicknames describe you, because like one of my other overseers, he just called me Big Boy, because I, I eat. So, so, so he'd be like, what's up, Big Boy? And, and I know we had a, a friend down in, in Jacksonville, his name was John Scott, and he's big, he's bigger than I am, and we called him Big John Scott. And it was okay, because when you're friends, you can use nicknames that describe each other, but you can't walk up to a complete stranger and be like, what up, Tubby? You can't, you can't do that. You'd be like, all right, it doesn't, nicknames are, they're all, I have nicknames for my kids, um, I have some nicknames for my wife, you guys can't know those, um, what, y'all are messed up, it's just like hotness and hottie and stuff, all right, no, I, I, Sarah, I call, I call her princess all the time, that's, that's kind of what her name means anyway, I call her princess, I, monkey, because she's always just climbing all over stuff, so she's the monkey, um, so, so I got nicknames, my, my son, he's, you know, he's a month old yesterday, I think, what's today, is today the 6th, today's the 7th, he was a month old Friday, and, uh, but he, he's big, he came out big, and so, and green, and he hulked out at birth, so we call him the Hulk, we call him Little Hulk, and, uh, so that's what I call him, so every time he starts getting mad, I'm like, he's gonna hulk out, here he comes, he hulked out on me yesterday morning, I was holding him, he just looked like all content for a little bit, you know, and I'm like, hey, buddy, how you do?" I mean, I just had him right here. He's making eye contact with me, and I'm like, how you doing? You, you, he had just eaten. I'm like, you feeling good? Your tummy's full. Yeah, you're doing good. And I thought he was about to crack a smile at me, and he's like, <laughs> and just spit up through the nostrils and the mouth, just all down the front of me. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, dude. So he, he hulked out on me yesterday morning. The thing about nicknames, nicknames are fun because what you don't realize is when you're doing them, there's actually something that's happening. There's like some bonding that's going on relationally when you start having nicknames for each other. Nicknames are a sign of, of, of endearment, like, like, hey, this, this person matters to me and, and, and we care about each other and we're friends and, and we've taken the time to invest in each other relationally to the point where it's okay to have these nicknames for each other. And, and, and so there's, there's an endearing quality to nicknames. Nicknames actually kind of bring you closer. So when you, when you use nicknames with each other, it, 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 it means there's a closeness that's forming in the relationship. Now, now I would say if, if like your friends have given you a nickname that you don't appreciate, you should speak up because they do have the ability to bring separation in your relationship. All right. So don't, don't do that. Don't mess it up that way. But, but there's actually a closeness that happens when we use nicknames. And, and like I said already, sometimes nicknames are used to describe the characteristics of each other. And uh, so I want you to check something out because I found this in Scripture. It's pretty interesting. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And this angel shows up to, to Mary, talk to Mary, and, and let her know that she's going to have a baby. And it says, and she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. So Jesus had a given name. It was Jesus. That was his, 
real name. And, and actually, Jesus wasn't an uncommon name. It's still not an uncommon name, especially in Latin and Spanish cultures. You see the name, it's obviously it's pronounced Jesus, uh, but, but it's still the same name. And in a lot of some of the Middle Eastern cultures, you'll still see this name used frequently. It wasn't an actually terribly uncommon name to, to be given to someone. So Mary and Joseph are told, hey, Mary's going to have a baby. You need to name him. You're going to name him. Jesus, and so I, I like I like it when I meet people with that name. I was at a restaurant not long ago, and this guy's name was Jesus. That was actually Jesus, but but every time he brings something to the table, I'd just be like, "Thank you, Jesus." I'm just, I didn't do that, but that'd be funny. I would I'm gonna try it if I ever have a waiter named Jesus. I'd be like, "Thank you, Jesus." Just get all Pentecostal on him. So Jesus was his given name, but I want you to see something else. Skip down two verses to Matthew one twenty three. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in the span of three scriptures, Jesus gets his given name, and then I think he actually gets given a nickname, Emmanuel. And it describes him and says, it means God with us. And here's what I want to try to communicate to you this morning, because I think a lot of us know Jesus as like Jesus. Just He's this guy. He died for us. I, I'll do the whole salvation prayer. I want to go to heaven. I want all that. That's all good. So I know Jesus as just this guy, Jesus, but we don't know Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, because that's really why he came. And so what I'm hoping will happen for you this morning is maybe you can make a transition from Jesus kind of being this religious figurehead in this faith that you're trying to follow to, to being God with me, my best friend, God with us. They were celebrating two separate things when the angels showed up and started talking. They were celebrating the one who would save us from our sins, but they were also celebrating this crazy new idea of being up close and personal with God. Jesus changed, you got to understand, he changed the landscape completely when he showed up on planet earth because God had always been someone that, that only a few people got access to, that only a few people got into his presence and really got close and really knew him. And so all of a sudden, here's God in the flesh walking around on planet earth with people. He changed, he changed everything. He's God with us. He was, Jesus was God with skin. In fact, theologians refer to him as the God man. Because he was, and even though it's hard for our minds to wrap around it, he was fully God and fully man at the same time. John 1.14 said it this way, so the word, what was the word? Well, it was everything up to the point of Jesus that people knew about God. It was the law and the scriptures and the, the, the way of life that had been taught to them. That You know, you, you've got the Ten Commandments that were written on these stone tablets. And that was, for most people, that was their interaction with God, is understanding what his laws were. And so, John 1.14, he says, so the word became human. Maybe your translation says flesh. The word became flesh and made his home among us. So all of a sudden, this message, this law, this word from God is here in human flesh to dwell with us. Do you, do you understand the magnitude of the change that took place there? 
Jesus didn't come just to give us some lessons. And this is all, a lot of times, this is who we think Jesus is, right? You, you think about Jesus, what do you think of? You think of the miracles, you think of the teachings, you think of uh, the cross, you think of the disciples. But, but that is not all that he came to. He's not just this guy who gave us some great lessons, died on the cross for our sin. Although all of that's, incre- I mean, that's the core of our faith. It's incredibly important. That's not all that he was. In fact, he spent the majority of his life out of ministry. I want you to think about that for a second. We base most of our thoughts and perceptions of Jesus on three years of his life. From age 30 to age 33, when he was crucified and died. That's what we base most of our thoughts and opinions and feelings about Jesus on, is this span of three years. But you've got to remember there was the 30 years before that. What? What was he doing for the first 30 years? He was being human. He was living on earth. He was experiencing the things that you and I experience. He spent the majority of his life out of ministry. As far as we know, he, now it's, I don't, we don't know this for sure. I think it'd be hard if, if I were Jesus, I would want to show off when I was a kid. I don't know if he did. The scriptures don't indicate that anybody sees any type of miracle from him until he shows up at this wedding and they run out of wine. <laughs> what an awesome way for Jesus to announce his presence. Oh, y'all need more alcohol. Bring me some water. <laughs> all right. So uh, just next time you're witnessing to a college friend, that's all you need. Hey, turn water to wine. What else do you need? All right. So I'm ki- don't use that approach. Don't. Don't. Don't do that. But as far as we know, he, did, he didn't do any miracles until the water into wine miracle. Theologians call the first 30 years of his life the theology of identification. Now, that sounds like a boring term, but here's what it is. He's being human and living his life. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says it. It's in Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Who's them? Us. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Anybody in the room ever felt tempted? He's able to help those who are being tempted. So this is what we call the theology of identification. So, so Jesus basically spent the first 30 years of his life understanding what it's like. To be you and I, he actually identifies with all of the human emotion and all of the feelings that you and I experience in our day-to-day lives. Jesus gets all of that because he came and became human so that he could experience it. He identifies with us. If you're sympathizing and, and comforting someone, I've learned that I can't sympathize with someone past the point of what I've experienced myself. I can try to empathize, I can care for, I can pray, I can hug on someone, I can be there for, be a shoulder for them to cry on, but if I haven't experienced what you've experienced, there's a limit to how much sympathy I can offer because I just, I just don't know. I don't, in fact, when I, when I couple, when I meet with couples and counsel, one of the first things I always say to people is, I promise to only say things to you that I know, and anything that I don't, I won't pretend that I do. Because I just, there's, there's certain things that if you haven't experienced, you don't know. I, um, I miss my dad. I miss my grandmother. I miss my aunt. I miss my stepdad who passed away back in December. 
But I'm going to tell you something. As, as hard as that is to deal with the loss, as painful as it is, I believe with all my heart that I'm a better pastor because of it. Because now, when I step into a family's situation where they're dealing with loss and they're dealing with grief and they're dealing with pain, guess what I can do? I can say, yeah, yeah I know. I know that hurts. I know what that feels like because I, 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 I've, I've spent all day sitting in a, in a hospital waiting room with, with nothing to do but worry and wait. I know what that feels like. And I, that's something that until I experienced it myself, there's, there's no way you can understand what that's like for a family. And that's what Jesus did, man. He came down on planet Earth. The Bible says he became fully human. The Bible says he was tempted in every manner that man gets tempted. He experienced the full run of human emotion. Why? So that he could identify with you and I. He's not just some far-off God who doesn't get us, who doesn't understand us, who doesn't know what life is like, because he came and he lived it. It's the theology of identification. Jesus identifies with us. He understands what it's like to be you. And I want to show you three things that Jesus understands. And you're in your notes today, if you want to fill them in or if you're using you version. Number one, Jesus understands relationships. He understands relationships. How do you know that? Well, there's, there's several different scriptures that would indicate that Jesus understands the difficulty of relationships. Here's one, Mark 6, 3. Then they scoffed at him. Who? Jesus is actually hanging out like in his hometown with people who knew who he was and knew where he came from. And so he's, he's basically telling them who he is and what he's done, what he's there to do. They scoffed. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Which, by the way, there are entire denominational theologies built on this idea that Mary stayed a virgin forever. I just want to point out that this is the Bible here that we're reading. The son of Mary and the brother of who? James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. So we don't know how many sisters he had, but at least two, because it's plural. All right? So, so clearly, Mary and Joseph's marriage was healthy post-Jesus. You know what I'm saying, all right? So Joseph liked his wife because Jesus had siblings. So he understands what it's like to do family life and what it's like to have brothers and sisters. And uh, Can you imagine, like, like, if he did? Maybe it just didn't make it into Scripture, but maybe he actually did stuff when he was a kid. Can you <laughs> Can you imagine, like, being one of Jesus' brothers? Mom! What? Jesus is, he's telling me what I did again, and he wasn't even there. I mean, he could be the ultimate tattletale. Mom, you should go check on Simon. Why? You should just go check on him. <laughs> Something's up. I think that would be awesome. I would love to have those powers. That'd be great. He's got, so... These people, they feel familiar with Jesus, and they actually scoffed. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. In other words, Jesus shows up with a group of, of people who know him, who really probably should have been his friends. And, and so, like, Jesus was bold, and he just came out and said who he was. I think if it was me, like, I'd probably have been a little bit freaked out. I'd be like, hey, guys, what's up, y'all? Who's... Hey, who's going to see Jurassic Park at IMAX? That's going to be good, right? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. By the way, I'm God. <laughs> All right, there's that. 
And they're all like, you, you what? All right, Jesus, we had a hard enough time believing this whole your mom was a virgin thing when you were born. Now you're telling us you're God. They scoffed at him. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe he was who he says he was. The Bible says he was tempted at all points. So here's what I want to throw out to you. Jesus knows what it's like to be single. I think he knows what it was like to be single and attracted to the opposite sex. Because it says he was tempted at all points. I think if Jesus would have lived in our culture, in our day and age, he probably would have been tempted by sitting down in front of a computer. The enemy would have tried to get him to, the Bible says that Satan took him and tried to get him to do all kinds of stuff. And he was tempted at all points. So I think he knows what it's like. I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, you don't know what it's like to be married. I think he does, because the Bible says his love for the believers, the church, is like the bride. We're actually called the bride of Christ, the church. So I think he does know what it's like to be married. In fact, we're so wishy-washy sometimes, I think he even knows what it's like to get cheated on. I I think he understands all of those feelings and all those emotions. He knows what it's like to have your friends betray you. It was one of the twelve closest to him that betrayed him into the Roman soldiers' hands. That ultimately led to his crucifixion. Peter denied him three times and Jesus knew it. I mean, just imagine the emotional pain of knowing that it's coming ahead of time. And it still happens. Mark 3.21 says, I mean, just these are scriptures that we don't catch a lot of times. When his family heard what was happening, what was happening? He was, he was out starting to minister and like he had, was casting demons out of people, he was healing people. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So Jesus' own family thinks he's crazy. He's telling evil spirits, leave, go. And his family's like, Jesus, come on. You don't get to cast demons out there. You're crazy. You're freaking everybody out. He's messing with the family reputation. They actually think he's crazy. Jesus understands relationships. The second thing he understands, I think he understands life. He just understands life. He understands what you're going to go through tomorrow morning when you wake up. The alarm clock goes off and it's Monday. And you've got to get up and go to class or go to work. Or you don't, and you don't want to. He, know, he knows it's like, how do we know that? Because he had a job. Jesus had a job. In the Jewish culture, at 12 years old, you were typically treated like a man. So from, from age 12 to age 30, he's, we know Jesus was a carpenter, so he basically gets into dad's business, and he's working as a carpenter. So think about this. Jesus had customers. How many of you have ever worked somewhere with an angry customer? I have. I don't like them. I don't miss that part of my job. Whenever I was working a regular, normal, full-time job, I don't miss that part of it. Jesus, had, he had clients who came to him and were like, Jesus, this chair is all wrong. Redo it. He, he, dealt, he understands. He was human. He understands life. From age 12 to age 30, six times more time than he spent in ministry He probably spent as a carpenter working a normal job. Modern day Jesus wouldn't be, I hate some of these like pictures and stuff we have. He's just all, he's got the halo and he's glowing and he's floating around. I mean, you'd think think Jesus was a girl looking at some of the pictures. It's just, 
It's just ridiculous. If Jesus were in modern day culture and, and you met him, like if you walked up and met him during his age 12 to 30, he'd be on a construction site with a hard hat on, jeans, t-shirt, tool belt, walking around being like, what's up? What do you need me to fix? Ripped, I'm saying, he'd be like, I'm Jesus. You got a problem? He wasn't this mealy-mouthed, weak little, oh, please follow me. No. He was, he was a man's man. Out in the sun, in the Middle East, he was, he was probably fairly tan and dark-skinned. Jewish culture. I mean, he just, he was ripped, man. He wasn't this weak little in fact, I think in modern day culture, just like I could just picture Jesus in some of the miracles. I know how I would do it. Like, like he gets ready to go walk out on the water to meet the disciples, right? Remember that one? Jesus walks on water and Peter sees it. They all think it's a ghost at first and they're freaking out. And then they realize it's Jesus and Peter's like, I want to do that. <laughs> Let me. So I could just picture Jesus like, all right, the guys are out in the boat. How can I mess with them? I'm going to walk on water. Watch this. And he just starts, he's walking out there. I, I think that's what he'd be like in modern day culture. He'd walk out there, they're all freaking out. He'd be like, what's wrong, guys? It's just me. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, I want to do that. He identifies, hu- he was human. He identifies with, he understands life. All of that part of his life, for that, that first 30 years of his life, I think it's important that we understand that All of that's just as important as the preaching, teaching, miracle Jesus. Because we need to understand that we serve a God who gets us. He identifies with us. He understands us. It's in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He understands what it's like to be you. He was just a better decision maker than you and I. Number three, Jesus understands pain. And our, our minds race to the crucifixion, right? And the, the crown of thorns and the whipping and the, just the physical pain. And I, I do think he identifies with us when we go through physical pain and physical illness. But even more so, I think he identifies with emotional pain that we feel sometimes. Isaiah 53, 3, in a prophecy about Jesus says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. He was despised. I mean, can you imagine being, going through school being the kid whose mom said God did it? Can you, I mean, can you just, there's, there's Jesus. God's his dad. One of the other kids maybe tries to befriend him. Hey, can Jesus come over and hang out today? No, we don't, we don't hang out with kids who we don't know who their dad is. You have to understand, in, that, in Jewish culture, this was a, this is a big deal. I mean, this is, this is a major deal. He's despised. He's rejected. He's a man of sorrows. Peter denies him. Judas betrays him. And I want you to think about this. Of God is not bound by time. Of all the time in history that Jesus could have come down and become this God-man, fully God, fully man, 
Why did he choose the time that he chose? Why did he show up in this moment in history where the Romans are running the show and, and the Jewish people are a part of their nation? Why then? I, I, there's probably a ton of different theories out there. I think it was because he looked down and he said, hey, hey, Dad, send, send me there. Send me during that period of time. That, that's where I need to go. Why do you want to go there, son? Because that's when capital punishment is the absolute worst form of it there will ever be. I'm going to go get whipped, and they're going to put thorns in my head, and then they're going to they're gonna nail me to a piece of wood, and I'm going to hang on a cross. And it'll be a picture that nobody will ever be able to forget for the rest of history. I think he knew what he was doing when he picked the time to come. Because if he came, if he came now, what would it, I could go in 2013, but it'd, just, it'd probably just be lethal injection. Nobody would pay attention to that. Send me when it's the cross. Let me die for people there. He understands pain. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. What are you trying to say, Michael? I'm trying to say Jesus qualifies to be your friend. Because he gets it. He knows what it's like to be you. All of the emotion all of the pain, everything that you've ever felt in your life, he understands. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. On the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands. So here's what I want you to do with this. Because my, my prayer for you today is that you could have that same kind of relationship with him where it's more than just Jesus, this historical figure, this far off God, but, this, but you can have like a real friendship, a real relationship with him. And the first thing you got to do is really simple. It's just a conscious choice that you have to make to make Jesus your best friend. I'm just hoping some of us today will go, you know what? I, I never thought of it that way. And from now on, I, I'm going to make Jesus my best friend. I'm a Facebooker. You guys Facebookers? I like Twitter better because I get to choose whose nonsense I see and don't. But some of us need to like change our relationship status to having a best friend whose name is Jesus. Jesus actually said there would be scores of people who would do religious things, but when they get this opportunity to enter heaven, he would say, depart from me for I, I never knew you. Why? Because doing religious things is not the same as having a relationship. And Jesus came so that we could have a relationship. He doesn't want to be your Sunday God. He wants to be your best friend. Do you understand the difference this morning? Are we tracking? He thinks of you that. Here, here's a, get, get your head around this. Jesus thinks of you as his friend. So we struggle with that. Jesus' friend, I don't know, he's God. I don't, know, I don't know if that works. But he thinks of you that way. He said it. John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So make him your best friend. Number two, talk to him. Like, just talk to him. I, I think too many times we build prayer up like it's supposed to be some sort of event. Uh, I had a... We had a member of our family, um, he, like at holidays, it was hilarious. 
because somehow he'd always get asked to pray over the meal. And it's Thanksgiving, man. I'm thinking like, okay, let's get to the reason we're here. That's turkey. <laughs> That's mashed potatoes. That stuff. That's why we're here. And he would pray for everything. Babies in Africa, uh, the, you know, the Chinese government, all the missionaries around the world, all of the pastors he'd ever known, uh, all of his, and like, you're just looking, you're like, dude, dude, the food's getting cold, man. What are you doing? Because we treat prayer like it's an event, and it's got to be like this beautiful, thought-out thing, and I, I don't think that's prayer at all. I think prayer is just a conversation. It's just a conversation. When I talk to Jesus, I talk to him the same way I would talk to any of you. Good morning, Jesus. I'll finish talking to you in a second. I need coffee. All right, got my coffee, Jesus. Let's continue this conversation. That's, I'm, I'm honest. Seriously, that's, that's how it goes. I get my Keurig going, and then I get down to the basement. I get a few sips in, and then we start talking. Because before that, I'm just grumpy, and I don't want Jesus to have to deal with grumpy Mike. That's not, that's not fair to him. But we just, we just talk. What, what do I talk to him about? Just, just talk to him about your life. Just talk to him about how your day's going. Uh, we've got some guys on our, our worship team who, when I get around them, they're younger. And, and quite frankly, there's some times where I just want to, like, I want to take their cell phones from them and pummel them into dust. And then say, look, make eye contact with me. Look like, Dan, give me your phone. Come here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Just some of the young people I get around, I just want to, now look, look right here. These are eyes. Let's talk. Let's use our lips and our mouth, and let's have a conversation. I'm just sitting there like, what are you doing? Talking to my friend. It's really important, huh? Yeah. What would you say to him? Hey. What do you say back? Sup. Sounds, sounds important. Check it out. As frustrating as that is for me, if, I think if Jesus were in this culture right now, if he were right here on earth with us today, he would love that. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with you, where you just, in the middle of your day, hey, what's up? <laughs> Going to work, not excited, going to do it anyway. I know what that's like. Keep doing it faithfully. I'm working on a raise for you. Seriously. He just wants to have conversation with you. But doesn't he know everything about me? Of course he does. But he still just wants to have friendship with you. God, did you you see that fight I just had with my wife? I I don't know how to deal with that. Yes, I'll. Don't worry. I'm still in control. Give it to me. Let me handle it for you. Oh, God, I don't want to bother you with my problems. No, 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 really. I know what it's like. I was there. I had brothers and sisters. We fought all the time. I get it. I understand. Just talk to him. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation. The Bible actually says... He's mediating for you. He is mediating for you. So when you talk to Jesus, 
The Bible says that when you talk to Jesus, he talks to the Father. Because God the Father sitting up on his throne. I, just, I can see Jesus right now. Hey, hey Dad, hey, Dad, Dad you, you see that? That, that? I remember going through something like that when I was there, and that's hard. We need to help them. They need help. He's interceding. He's mediating for you with God the Father. Why wouldn't you communicate to him? He's your access. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace timidly and fearfully. Is that what it says? This is my are you awake test. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need. And many of us, man, we don't want to go to God with our issues. We don't want to pray. We don't want to talk to God because we think he's going to squash us like a little bug and he's angry at us for all of our sins. But the Bible says that's not it at all. When we go to God confidently and we say, hey, Jesus, I'm messed up right now. How does he respond? Mercy, grace, help. That's, if, if you get nothing else out of today, walk out of here today going, I can go to Jesus And it's always going to be the same response. Mercy, grace, help. Mercy, grace, help. God, my family is falling apart. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm bringing it to you. Here I am, confidently asking this Jesus who wants to be my friend, who wants to have a relationship with me, to please step into my mess and help me fix it. How does he respond? Mercy, grace, help. Thank you, John. Number three, trust him with your life. Trust him with your life. Chad's going to come up right now.